Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Today we're bringing you episode four of our deep dive into the people behind the journal our Heredity Editors. Now, the first three episodes in this series have all featured editors whose research focuses on plants. So, for this episode, we're going to veer into the world of animal population and conservation genetics, as we meet Dr. Giorgio Bertarelli from the University of Ferrara in Italy. Giorgio has worked on some iconic animals, and is really interested in the way that humans can impact the evolution of wild organisms' genomes. Sounds cool, huh? Let's find out more. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. Can you introduce yourself to everyone who's listening? Yes, of course. My name is Giorgio Bertorelle. I'm an associate professor in genetics at the University of Ferrara in Italy. And um, I think I should consider myself a population and conservation geneticist. Perfect. One thing that I found quite funny, and I didn't realize it until I was starting to get prepared for this interview, is that we've actually already featured some of your work on the podcast. Because back in 2018, I interviewed some of your co-authors about MHC genotyping in Alpine Chimois. Yeah. yeah, that paper was quite an interesting one because it was uh, in the process, in the transition from genetics to genomics we are doing uh, in our lab. Uh, okay. And that was uh, on a species uh, I like quite a lot. We have been working several years on the chamois system. The reason for that is uh, mainly that um, the chamois is a hunted species, so there are some populations that were affected by strong population declines. At that time, we were interested in understanding the population structure, so the genetic differences between different populations living in different mountain chains, and uh, especially in AMHC, so the major histocompatibility complex and general immune system, because so some of these populations are also affected by the mange and declining because of that. And that understanding something about the variation that this gene can be helpful also for conserving them, maybe selecting more resistant individuals for translocations. And this is really, I think, something that's interesting for me. Not only understanding what happened this species uh, due to human modifications of the environment, uh, what happened at genetic or genomic levels, but also to find ways uh, to develop strategies uh, to reduce uh, the risk of extinction, the loss of genetic variation, these kind of things. Yeah, it, is a, it was a very good study and your co-authors explained it really well. It was a really good episode to put together. I really enjoyed it. And I guess it kind of exemplifies quite a lot of your research themes, but I wonder if you could just tell us a bit more broadly about what it is that you research. Yeah, so my research is, first of all, estimating uh, genetic variation. But when you have this data, then you can use them to understand uh, what happened to the species in the past, like demographic processes, selection processes, and in particular what I'm interested in understanding how humans impact was on those genomes and uh, of course 
at the end trying to understand if this impact on the genome is a sort of dangerous for the survival of the species or of local populations. So this is in general a little bit. In particular, maybe I'm more interested in understanding more about how in small populations genetic drift is producing an increase of deleterious mutations. And this is, of course, can reach a level of decrease of the fitness because of these mutations that maybe is really contributing to the extinction of the species. And um, just to give an example, our recent uh, interest was on the Apennine bears. Uh, We published a couple of years ago a paper using uh, whole genomes uh, on the Apennine bear. The Apennine bear is a very beautiful system. I mean, uh, there are only 50 animals living in the central Italian mountains, which are the Apennines. And this is probably since a few thousand years. So it's not a recent process of uh, isolation. Uh, it uh, started, uh, we estimated, uh, between three to 4,000 years ago wow. due to forest burning because uh, uh, farmers needed more soil to be cultivated and this population was caught uh, in a little area in central Italy and so all these years of of isolation produced an accumulation of deleterious mutations. But the most interesting thing is that at the end we observed all these genomic uh, consequences of the isolation and the decline of the population size but the bears there are not doing uh, too bad so they are surviving uh, they don't have a sort of uh, apparent uh, reduction of fitness, they were able to keep genetic variation at important loci. So they lost variation at many loci, they accumulated deleterious mutations, but they also were able to keep variation at immune system genes, at olfactory genes, and probably this was also the key for the not so clear reduction in fitness as you can measure from ecological studies. So this is uh, one of the main interests uh, I have now, understanding what is happening in small populations when they became small because of humans. Usually the expectation is a rapid decline of fitness. Sometimes it occurs, sometimes it does not occur. And understanding why this is happening and what is producing this uh, different patterns in different species. It's, it's interesting and very helpful also to understand how to manage the species. Because, for example, what we observe at the end is that it's, it might be a problem, all this accumulation of deleterious mutations, but for now they still keep variation at, interest, at important loci. And this means that, um, for example, programs of translocating individuals from other populations, uh, we are not suggesting them yet. Uh, it's they still <laughs> there. Easy. <laughs> yeah, won't be easy. Uh, but in other cases, uh, to sort of we call that genetic rescue. So you take individuals uh, from a different population to increase the variation in a very small one. Uh, but in this case. Uh, Despite the fact that they lost a lot of variation, we believe they are still doing quite well and they still keep variation at important loci. Nice. No, that, that's pretty incredible. You'd think they'd be on their way out with such a small population. Um, yeah. But I guess for anybody who's interested in sort of conservation and wildlife management, it's, it's fairly obvious how important a lot of this work is. 
But I wonder for you personally, what is it that drives you? Why is this the research topic that you've devoted yourself to? I think that, um, yeah, maybe the main reason is more like personal interest in using uh, population genetics to understand evolutionary processes. And for example, the bear is a beautiful system to understand what is happening in small populations. But of course, uh, this is more related to inference, so using data to infer something. But then at the end, uh, what uh, also the reason why I started to, to be interested in species uh, that in some way require also some analysis like this one is uh, you have always the hope to help <laughs> in protecting biodiversity, in reducing risks of extinctions, in suggesting better strategies to preserve species, uh, in uh, understanding also how genetics can be useful in um, sustainable development, because there is a strong relationship between biodiversity and sustainability. Oh, perfect. And I guess it's also a good time now to kind of flip over to your other role, which is being an editor at Heredity, because, you know, we're aiming for a lot of research that covers those kind of topics. And I kind of wonder, I guess, what it is that you get out of being an editor here? Because it must be a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of the work, but it's not so bad. I mean, I'm not <laughs> complaining too much. I should complain probably for, for many other things I have to do <laughs> in my department. Usually, it's a good opportunity also to read nice papers. And Heredity is a sort of, I think, historical journal. It has a, a reputation. It has a tradition. The editorial board is um, made by a lot of passionate people. They know each other. And I think that all of them are trying to carefully uh, read and understand what is in the papers that are submitted to the journal. So I, li I like the work, it's not too heavy, I would say. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's a kind of really, really good journal. A little bit far, maybe, in some way from uh, mainstream uh, journals with hundreds of editors or with, with um, asking a lot of money to publish papers. <laughs> it's, a, it's a classical and, and, and traditional and I think a very good journal. And I like being the editor there. Nice. Um, and I guess the interesting thing there you're saying is you get the opportunity to read lots of interesting papers and I agree and I get to interview a lot of the authors as well. So I wonder what it is that you look for in a paper when it comes to your desk? I think people should not... I mean, this is what I think. They should not overstate too much what they have been doing so not trying to oversell what they've been doing be honest and um, uh, what is important is also being clear for a general audience of course if there is a very very innovative method uh, or a very very super cool uh, system uh, easier <laughs> to be published in the heredity <laughs> as, uh, as in any other journal probably but in, in, in my view yeah, being updated is important. Sometimes uh, we receive papers uh, using methods that has not been used since 10 years. <laughs> and this is, uh, you wonder if there was a, a, a statistician uh, or a computational biologist that, that had a look at the paper because uh, not always new methods are better than old methods, but um, 
you have to show that uh, there is a reason to use uh, something that uh, has not been used in the last 10 years. So being updated, uh, clear and um, rigorous also and not to trying always to oversell. But of course, uh, it's important to show that there is something new. So I guess be clear why your work is really good, but don't try and pretend like you're changing yeah. the face of your field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is kind of difficult. Yeah. Perfect. And I guess I only have one last question to ask you. And it's, you know, this series, we're trying to get a feel for who our editors are, what drives them, what they're really passionate about. So I wonder if there is anything sort of in science that you are particularly passionate about promoting or sharing or seeing people do. What um, probably a, a kind of big satisfaction is when uh, students uh, understand uh, uh, that science, uh, and especially genetics, I would say, and especially population genetics and evolutionary genetics, is not just about talking. It's about numbers, usually. It's about models. It's about statistics. It's about now computational methods. So there is uh, a real quantitative approach to this part of science and when students understand that and they understand that it's not biology just observing nature and especially in the fields I'm working on then it's giving me quite good satisfaction because in some way I succeeded in telling them that they should never stop at the, the first reading of um, big news uh, but they have to go into dig a little bit in the results, uh, understanding also the details, also, yeah, the statistical uh, details of uh, what are these numbers behind a major result, uh, because sometimes uh, that might be okay or or not, but it's important, yeah, that students understand that. It's, it's a field where, where being uh, able to work and to understand models and numbers is important, but of course, there are other things and uh, at the end it's also very nice sometimes to go out there and sample real animals <laughs> no i i think that that is that is great i mean some of my fondest memories of my phd are doing field work but in the end it is all about the numbers and that's that's where you make your discoveries um yeah but i guess thank you very much for taking the time to share your work with us thank share what drives you, you. Um, yeah, and hopefully people will go give your papers a read and also submit some papers to you. And yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Hopefully you're feeling inspired by Giorgio to submit your papers to Heredity. You can find out how to do that on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash HDY. But that's us for today. Please subscribe to the Heredity podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. And give us a follow on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, please drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.